Welcome to another episode of the I Am Podcast. I'm Johnny Wilkinson and I really appreciate you being here with me today. I've got a very special offer from our podcast partner that I don't think you're going to want to miss. As you know by now at I Am, we're passionate about exploring performance and potential. We often look at this through the body, how the food we consume affects us. And this is why we've partnered with Vivo Life, who have devoted themselves to understanding how our nutrition plays a significant role in our growth, both physically and mentally. Their products are formulated by nutritionists and are 100% natural, making them the perfect choice for anyone looking to take their well-being to the next level. A big favourite at the Iron Podcast is their Perform Plant Protein, especially in cacao flavour, and their plant-based Omega-3 made from high-potency algae oil. Whichever you choose, you'll quickly understand why Vivo Life products are award-winning when you try them out. Plus, their products are delivered straight to your doorstep via carbon-neutral delivery. Vivo Life really embodies the spirit of our podcast, and we're really keen for you guys to try the products yourselves. So they agreed to run their biggest ever discount exclusively for I Am listeners. The code is I Am Podcast, all in capital letters, which will give new customers 40% off their first order and a further 15% off when they subscribe. The offer ends soon, so don't miss out. Check out their full range of products at www.vivolife.co.uk to discover how they can help you unlock your full potential. So here we are again on the I Am podcast, looking into how health and well-being and self-discovery can really fund our performance, enrich our relationships and deepen our engagement and experience of life. So to guide us and assist us with what I think is a delightful endeavor this week is Dr. Shafali Sabari. Dr. Shafali has experienced some amazing transformations in herself and in her own life. And she's sort of transcribed these understandings into some beautiful books, a few of which the Awakened Family and especially the Conscious Parent have really already played huge roles in my life, that's for sure. Her focus is often obviously upon the subject of parenting and the opportunity that we are all afforded to help equip the next generation to somehow do better than we've done ourselves. Her work is very, very powerful in my opinion, provides a challengingly humble but difficult to argue with approach to bringing up our children. Her offerings are so translatable as well to every area of life to allow everything to unfold and people to be as they are through compassion, love and deep respect. Wow, that's a lifetime's work right there. Replacing our need to control outcomes with gratitude, a love for life and a reverence for our capacity to create that monumentally outweighs our attachment to whatever we actually create. That's a movement into effortless peak performance that reduces, I think, the sum total of the suffering in the world. However you look at it, for me, it all invokes our ability to respond. It brings all our attention and energy to where we want it and into the present moment and that which fills it. But what an example it is for anyone but it's also normally the one that we're presented with by our children in their playfulness, in their energy, in their vibrance. That is before we start letting them know just how the world really is. But what if we were able to offer our entire being to our children in return to seek out, follow our passions and really look after our precious dreams I guess my point is is that the job of becoming the change we want to see whether it's for our children or just for the world is never done there's so much glorious work there for us where would we ever possibly find the time let alone the incentive for controlling those around us in our families but more than anything It just aligns to a life very well spent in my view. So a huge thanks to Dr. Shafali. Please do go and check out her work. It's immense. Even if it just 
creates a few new possibilities in your thinking. It's definitely been a pleasure for me to have had that time to, to speak with her and I wish her a huge amount of success going forward. Uh, thank you also to yourselves for your ever ongoing support. Uh, I know I say this a lot, but uh, I say it and I mean it every time. It does make such a big difference. Your contributions, they are awesome and they have such a huge impact on where all this is going. My name is Johnny Wilkinson. This is the I Am Podcast with Dr. Shafali Sabari. Dr. Shafali, thank you so much for this opportunity to converse with you. I'm desperate to ask many questions. There's so much of your experience I want to draw upon. But first of all, how are you today? Oh, very well. Thank you so much. Thanks Believe me, my pleasure. Me. So there's many people who I think are going to get to know you maybe through this and, and through other things you've done. But for those that aren't quite up to speed with where you're what you do and your speciality and how you come at this subject of human potential and all these amazing life experiential sort of opportunities. Can you give us a tiny background of, of yourself? Sure. So by trade, I'm a clinical psychologist because I've always been so fascinated by, you know, why we humans suffer the way we do and what's a way to enter a greater state of bliss and empowerment. So that's what drove me to clinical psychology. But then in my early 20s, I got very pulled into meditation and learned a lot about Eastern mystical spiritual thinking from my meditation practice, mainly Vipassana meditation, which is a specific technique. So then I ventured to integrate what I learned in my Eastern spiritual world with Western psychology. And all my work is a very heavily integrated approach of East and West. I'm from India and I live in here, I live here in America. So I really get this nice integrated approach and outlook to life. And I, I help my clients through that, all the work I've done in conscious parenting, in mindful living, all has to do with yeah, we have a psychological piece, but then there's a real wisdom piece that's often missing in the psychological world and a real missing psychological piece in the wisdom world. So I've been able to integrate both of them. And that's how I write my books and do all my work. That's fascinating. The Eastern Western mix resonates with me so strongly. I think I was very heavily Western <laughs> and then push very hard Eastern. And now I've almost come back to all my almost dismissed the Western. When I found the Eastern, I was like, what were they even thinking? But now I'm starting to be aware. I think, as you mentioned, that there's a huge amount of value in so much of that work. And now that blend, I think is hugely powerful. And I want to kind of explore that. I came across you and your work through one of your many fantastic books, The, the Conscious Parent because that's become a huge part of my life, becoming a parent. And what's been really, really interesting to me is on this podcast, as we explore all kinds of things around performance and potential and transformation is as a child myself, I think I was so, and hopefully we'll get into this, but I was so driven, driven by many parts passion, but huge amounts of parts of fear fear-based mm. reactivity, self-defense, self-protection, and a lot of beliefs and values that were there basically to try and help me survive, try and help me win, and ultimately uh, skip that kind of ultimate judgment day that everyone faces. And then when it came, to, and then I had my own experience of kind of, I guess, softening and, and to a degree awakening, I guess, and then parenting hit. And I started to look at myself and how I was brought up and realized that there was nothing huge that I can look at from my parent, my, my own upbringing. And yet here I am looking after someone else and thinking, how on earth can you bring up a, a child and not create more problems for that child? And, and this was an amazing book in that. So what's been your own path towards this why you know you said you were into meditation you were fascinated has it just been pure passion has there been parts of anything else in your life as well that has been more challenge based 
in that respect that's led you here? Because that's certainly an area I, I guess I would be able to talk about. Yeah, no, all my work is, you know, I'm my own little lab rat for all my work. So what, when I was studying meditation and when one studies meditation in its pure form, one is exposed to the most amazing concepts of human nature, of nature, of humans in general, all across our species. And you begin to understand how, you know, we are living in an illusion And the illusion is because we are afraid. Like you said, you were driven by fear. And because we are afraid, we create separation amongst us. And we create constructs, mental constructs that divide us. I mean, religion notwithstanding. We create wealth constructs, status, religious-based constructs that inevitably create deep divides and schisms between human to human. True human nature is interbeing. True human nature is we, is one. But we've created these great divisions out of fear. And fear of many things, fear of survival, fear of not being powerful enough. And then lately, you know, now in this culture, in this modern era, fear of not being seen, not being worthy. You know, our ancestors had no time to worry about these fears. They had to be, you know, they had to run away from the saber-toothed lion and, from, you know, from the woolly mammoth. And they they were fearful in a different way. But now that we've had, phys- we've had physical luxuries in our lives, we are psychologically screwed up, you know, psychologically afraid of each other. But again, it's fear. And fear creates separation. So when you study Eastern mysticism and true spirituality, you begin to understand how far we have deviated from our true nature, our true nature, which is to be in community, to be in oneness, to be together. And we have moved so far past that into these very individual, isolated pods of existence, which have created greater neuroses, greater fears. So our ego, the ego self, is not just a vain self, it's also the false self. In all the ways we've been living in false self. So in my meditation practice, I became aware in my own life of my ego self. Most practitioners will tell you, That's the hardest thing to kill is your egoic self. But most people don't even know that they're living in false self. They have no idea that they're living in ego self. So those were my teachings, which were underpinning my existence. However, it's only when I became a parent that I really saw the roar of my ego. You know, it's one thing to know it intellectually, but it's only when you become a parent You know, and when you're in other relationships, you can still 50-50 blame the other, right? <laughs> it's like, you know, it's, so it's like the, your, your mother is yeah. fucked up, not, not me, right? You can blame the other person's mother. Yeah. But then when you're the, when you're oh, the mother, yeah. now the it's father, me. You're like, and if you're, ve- yeah. if you're very sensitive and you're very awake, you will see the ego. So I began to see my ego, but no one told me about it. No one told me that I will carry it with great pomp and circumstance into my parenting. I had no idea. I was told all I need is a loving heart and a stable home. And those were the ingredients of a great parent. But because I was attuned and sensitive, because I'd been doing so much inner work, that I saw the ego come out. I just didn't have words for it. And it took me a few years to realize, oh, It's the same damn ego that shows up everywhere else. No one told me it would show up in parenting because such is the arrogance and the ignorance of the parent. The parenting industry is such an ignorant and arrogant industry that it doesn't call the parent out on their crap till I began doing it. First, I had to call myself on my crap and I was horrified. I I, I mean, I was horrified. I remember one day, I froze my angry face and I took it to the mirror to see how my daughter was seeing me. And I, I almost passed out. I was like, you, you, you look horrible. You're so mean to this little three-year-old. And that's when I began to do the real work. I thought I had done so much work till I became a parent. But, you know, that, that's the final frontier. Because now you have to go to the level of ownership right? We do not own our children. 
And every instinct is telling us, no, we do. They came from our bodies for the most part, if they're biological. You know, we spend so much on them. They've wrecked our bodies, wrecked our marriages. We're like, hell no, I own this person and this person is going to pay me back. So you are going to the, yeah. to the root of that egoic ownership that we have in our world. We have it for our cars. We have it for our wives and our husbands, but we so have it for our children. So in my own journey, I really lambasted that core ownership and dared to understand that I don't own her. And she, you know, as Khalil Gibran says, just comes through us. But I did that work. And that became the basis of conscious parenting. And now it's a movement out there in the world. But it's hard. I mean, I'm out there like banging my head, trying to teach parents that they cannot superimpose their expectations, their fantasies, their desires, their unmet needs onto their children. Children come into this world ready to live their lives, not ours. And their destiny is their own and has nothing to do with ours. But parents don't like to hear that because they believe they own their children. So it's that false self. And again, it's because we grew up with a false self that we are living in false self. So we impose this false self, these ideals onto our children, all false. You know, children will tell you straight if they had the courage and the freedom to express that, that no, you don't, you're not the boss of me. They're right. We're not. But because we grew up with so much ego in our lives, our parents imposed so much control that now we seek to impose that same control on our children. So doing conscious parenting, what I teach, is the hardest thing in the world. But yeah, and and everyone gets there through pain, let me tell you. People don't get to it skipping and whistling away. We get to it through scrapes and bruises and cuts and blood, and I certainly did. I'm just lucky I got up a little earlier. Like by the time my daughter was three, I Mm. awakened to this fact. Otherwise, I would have destroyed her, as most of us were destroyed. Someone I spoke to very interestingly actually mentioned exactly this, not about children, but about how even we, the arrogance of us believing that we own anything. And owning the children thing is fascinating. Also, their story was this has been passed through all the generations of my family and family. And it's up to the sensitive ones who work it out. And he's sort of saying, I'm one of those sensitive ones and this is my work. Whereas everyone else is kind of, you know, like off you go, you have it, you have it. Those constructs you speak about at the beginning there, it's, this has been a lot of my confrontation has been essentially meeting that crisis point where your construct meets something. It cannot continue past unless it gives and you end up in that stalemate and you fight and the fight comes in the anxiety and in the, and then eventually in the depression and then almost in the, there's nothing left. How do you tell someone, Oh, you know, this is a construct because what you feel and what you see and how you perceive everything is so real. And I keep meeting these crises points, no matter how much work I do. And I think you mentioned about the, the next frontier, for me, I meet them again and, I, and I, I feel like I'm expanding and I'm I'm sort of transcending, but I meet my work again each time. And there's a part of me that comes out that I don't recognize so much anymore, but it, geez, it is, it's like you said, your mean face. And I can feel it. It's incredible. But would you say there's a huge amount of this? It's like before you try and work on anyone else, do your work. You know, is, is that kind of where a lot of this comes from in terms of children observing you rather than listening to you the whole time. So we have all these great things to say and all these nice tactical things for being a great parent, but actually all that matters is what are they feeling from you and what are they observing day in, day out? Yes, yes, yes. All of it is yes. Just do your work. But, but on a more nuanced level, what that means is understand how you have been set up through this matrix to absorb and to embody domination, control, competition, uh, achievement-based status, and all things external as your indicators of identity and worth. And become aware of that. Become aware of how enslaved you are to the opinions of others for that trophy, for that medal, for that applause. Please see how you are puppeteered by the external world and how you seek 
to control others and puppeteer others and become their external world, your children's external world. So what was done to you, you do to others. And there's no liberation in sight unless we cut the cords, unless we snap out of them, unless we awaken and purge all those destructive identities that we've created, which are all false. They're based on an illusion. I named my daughter Maya, which means illusion, to, to remind me that she's not mine and this is an illusion. Of any control I think I have over her is an illusion. And truly, true, true wisdom seekers seek to do away with the control because they know that the more control, the more bondage. The more control, the more enmeshment, entanglement in an unhealthy way. So you have to be willing to go on this path of, of seeking liberation. There is a way to be more free in this world. Those parts of you that come out are the very buried, suppressed parts of you that are still bound in fear. They're bound and gagged, suppressed yeah, in fear. Exactly. They, they are your little parts of you and forgotten parts of you. So whenever they come out, they are seeking to be heard. So your job is not to be in shock or shame because that comes from arrogance, right? Like, oh, I shouldn't do these things. No, no, no. You, yeah, you yeah, still have yeah. work to do. And you have with compassion an ability to integrate that back into your life. Damn, I'm still living in fear. I'm still competitive. I'm still othering myself and others. And I need to enter integration. What is this voice saying to me? It's saying you're not good enough. You have to be better. You have to scream louder to be better. You have to be controlling in order to be more powerful. We've all, most of us at least, have created a dependency on these ways of gaining control that are truly false and toxic because true authentic power and control is having control and dominion over your inner world, right? It has nothing to do with the beauty on the outside, the cars on the outside, the wives or the husbands on the outside, or your children. Therefore, in conscious parenting and living, if you embody wholeness, abundance, completion, then you walk around like that. So you don't look at your children with those, you know, you're, you're, not, you're not piercing them with expectations and the onus to be something other than who it is they are because you don't need them to be anything other than who it is they are yeah. because you're so okay with yourself. You're, you're not seeking completion from your children. And most of us parents are seeking validation and identity, a sense of belonging, worth from our parenting. Therefore, our children better be keeping up to the standards because that's where we are gaining our identity. And what a tragic situation indeed that our poor seven-year-old has to give mommy worth and our poor 19-year-old clueless little teenager has to give, you know, mother or father their validation. This is what it means to do the work. It's so deep. It's so powerful. And it is the way to liberate yourself and your children. This book, The Parenting Map. Oh, yeah. So this one is the how, the how-to of the conscious parent. The conscious parent was the philosophy but this one is the 20 yeah. steps how, because everyone was, you know, begging me to write the how to manual. So this is that book. You've just jumped right in on me because that's obviously where this is going. There's this amazing inspirational piece about hearing these things, which triggers that excitement and that kind of sense of possibility that I think belongs to that inner voice, which has maybe been veiled for so long. But then there's the next step. Yeah, the inspiration alone won't just do it. But a lot of this does seem to pull, and I go back to my experience of life, that because of that control, all that fulfillment, as you said, is coming from a payback from a future down the line. Now, I'm going to find mine now, my engagement, my involvement in a bit in the future. And that experience of fleeting pleasure when you get what you want and fleeting satisfaction when you do manage to control a situation whether it be the pride or the, the, the kind of sort of, you know, the, the ego gets the, the bolstering is so different to the, the other dimension we're talking about here in terms of that other one. I really want to explore what that experience is kind of like for you, because what I found has been a big catch for me all the time is I feel like I'm moving that direction. And yet I see there's another illusory payoff coming. I'm going to do some meditation because yeah. if I do, right. this will happen. And of course, it keeps everything out of arm's reach. 
but there's also an element of life, obviously, where you do need certain things to survive, to keep the human body alive, to look after your family and so on. But this different version of performance, which is so much more trusting, so much more creative, so much more co-creative in terms of working with the universe and so on. I'd love to explore that. But from the first side, how would you describe when you're talking about your journey and having had these awakening stages, what's this experience as best as you can articulate it versus the old way, which almost keeps that carrot dangling just a little bit further and gives you just enough yeah. to keep you on that journey. What's, what's the, mm-hmm. what for you is a, is a way of describing this? And also when you mentioned about that meditation, how do you move away from this? I'm still conditional. Mm-hmm. I'm still doing this because mm-hmm. in which case it's the ego that's after the outcome and not the, mm-hmm. yeah, the release into the being. How, how would you describe those two things? Well, the first thing is awareness, right? So awareness of the ego, awareness of your conditions, right? Whenever people come to me and they say, hey, I'm so conscious or Dr. Shvali, I'm already a conscious parent. Then I will very lovingly say, well, that is the first sign that you're not, right? Because <laughs> yeah, yeah. conscious people never talk like that because we know that the snake of the ego is sitting right under, you know, hidden from view, ready to hiss and snap and bite us and poison us. So we're always aware that we are any moment conditional beings, full of ego, full of unconsciousness. So the first thing of a, the first mark of a spiritual seeker is not to pretend they don't have ego, but to be hyper vigilant of their ego is to know, fuck, I'm in my ego right now. Wow. That, that's, that's the work, right? Just do that. So when you're screaming at your kid, tell your kid, you need to leave the room because daddy's gone psycho right now. Well, that is the greatest gift. It's not to never go psycho. It's to go, it's not you. I'm acting like it's you. Please never think it's you. And please leave me alone because I've gone stark raving crazy, right? (laughs) I can't be perfect. I'm going to be a lunatic, but I want my child to know it's not theirs to own. That is the first mark. Accountability, ownership, vigilance, awareness of of your shitty sides, your shadow sides, your crappy sides, and to allow them into view with awareness and integration, right? Not to act perfect. The most dangerous person is a person who thinks they're perfect. The most dangerous person is a person who thinks they're not judgmental. <laughs> you know, the, those are dangerous people. <laughs> but the, but the mm. most benevolent, kind, and honest people are those that are constantly aware and take accountability of their dishonesty, of their sneakiness, of their lies. Because we're all sneaky and we're all lying. But it's the ones who are in denial of it that act in stealth mode that are dangerous. So be aware, bring your crap out. When, whenever it shows up, take ownership and accountability. Don't dump it on the other people and then go do the work. So first is that. And the way that I work on it in my life is fully expect myself to be conditional because I'm a conditional being and to keep working on the deeper reasons why. Okay, why do I need to do that? Why do I say should? Why am I being judgmental? And the answer will always be because I feel afraid that without this, whatever that is, the marriage, the loyalty of the other person, the validation from the other person, whatever that is, I've decided without that, I'm not going to be complete, which is a lie. So then I have to go deeper. Okay, that's not true. Nobody can complete me. Nobody can fill me up. I have to do this work on my own. Damn. Okay, so let me fill myself up. And then you confront how little you actually like yourself because you don't want to fill yourself up. You're like, okay, big deal. I'll fill myself up, but I don't even like myself. That's why I give validation to others. Okay, let's do deeper work. Why do you not like yourself? So it always goes down to deep fear, out of a deep pain around our unworthiness and because we have divorced ourselves. And and that's the essential primal split that shows up in all other relationships, right? So again, the goal is not to have perfection. The goal is not to be this bodhisattva, never get angry. Don't put that pressure on yourself, but let everyone be on notice that you have issues, (laughs) you know, like... Tell your child from the time she's four, there will be times your daddy's going to act like a lunatic, 
that's when you need to go to your room and leave him alone. It's not you, right? Mm. Because that she was, mm. that is so much healthier than us, you know, feeling guilty or blaming them or blaming ourselves, right? It is what it is. We are work in progress, but we have to do the work. We have to then take that as an invitation to go deeper and deconstruct why it is we are living in this fear. And it will always be fear and it'll be unworthiness. That's it. Yeah, amazing. And then there's no doubt, even for me as a as a sportsman, is that where you meet that place where you you do feel worthy, you get engagement. Yeah. So you know where when you have a ball in your hand, suddenly time flies by. Yes. Two hours can go missing. Because for some reason you understand in this space here, I feel deserving. I belong. There is nothing for me to solve. There is no problem here. I have no conditional kind of need of outcome. It's my, I'm expressing now. Mm-hmm. I'm not seeking for mm-hmm. something back. And, and yeah, what I found out is that maybe I, <laughs> I have a small area where I have that. I have a large area where I don't. Mm-hmm. But where that challenge comes in, it's been a beautiful guide for me mm-hmm. and it's so painful at times because mm-hmm. like you said, it draws on that immense fear where it's worse than death because death has a name, mm-hmm. but the fear that has a darker and a, a, mm-hmm. a greater darkness than death. Cause you don't even know what, what it is. It's that scary. It's that unknown. But with that, it, it pulls forward the parts of me that I can see and work on. And I guess with subtlety, and, and the sensitivity of, of the work, I'm being able to find more of those when the challenge isn't there. But when the challenge really isn't there, I, I find myself missing it mm. because the guidance is less when I'm in that, yeah, things are okay. Mm-hmm. And I can find days go by and I feel like I'm, 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 not, I'm, I'm cycling mm. round. I, I feel like I've lost that momentum. And you mentioned there about you know the shadow side, but when people are feeling pretty good, what's the difference between for you, yeah, feeling pretty good, having a good time, things are uh, all right, versus that connected we experience of life. Where does that kick in? You know, after the awareness, what's, it's so, I know the tangibility of this is so difficult to explain, but what's the difference between, yeah, I'm having a good time versus I'm in that bliss for you? Is it the same as me saying I'm in the zone on the sports field? It's that kind of absolute engagement. Is that what it is for you? Yeah, it's a zone and you don't want you want to cultivate it every day. So it's not about feeling good or having great relationships even. It's really about a daily inner connection. So it's turning the eyes inward at all times, checking in with yourself, being in touch with yourself all day long and carving out yeah. the space. So I carve out, you know, when I go on a run, I'll try not to hear anything. I'll try to just be on my breath and look at nature and really see things, really hear things. You know, we have begun living in a world where everything has become produced now and curated, right? We have our, our podcast that we want to hear and we go on this special route and we, you know, everything has to be managed. So I try, you know, at least during pockets of the day, to engage in life in a more authentic way as just me and life and and really find that zone again and tap into that edge of living life in the now and in the moment. But you have to cultivate it, right? We have to seek it. So it has nothing to do with how things look on the outside. It all has to do with an inner cultivation of daily connection and making sure that you give yourself that, that little haven, that, that spot, that recluse to go do that. For yourself, It will not come if you are in company 24-7. It will not come if you are engaged yeah. with your senses in terms of watching a movie and then listening to a podcast and then eating food and then talking to friends. Oh, that, that is not going to bring about what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about can only really come about in stillness, in solitude, and in some quietening down, taking away the distractions from the outside world and being in a reflective, contemplative state every single day. And that will build on each itself, build on the last day in an exponential way and allow you to suddenly have this presence about yourself that you simply didn't know you were building on. 
but it comes from inner quietude and solitude. There is just no way to create it without it. So on one hand, people want to be liberated, but they don't even spend 30 minutes on their own in quiet. Mm. Where do we have 30 minutes on our own in quiet? And let me tell you, when I go on my run or my walk, I'm in conflict because I'm like, I should be listening to podcasts. I should be listening to more motivational speakers. But I'm, I, I then have the wisdom to know that they are trying to get me to the state that I'm already in. Like, just be in it. Yeah. Just be there. Why? Yeah. You don't need to hear them. Just you're already here. Enter silence. Be connected. Be on your breath. And that's where all these teachers are trying to take you. It's right here in the now. And it's so sad that many of us are just now whirling around in this so-called self-improvement world. But that becomes its own toxic addiction, right? At the end yeah. of the day, if, if we're not being pointed back to ourselves in stillness and quietude, we are just in a fancier looking, better looking yeah. labyrinth. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think it's it's fascinating that that we we want to keep getting these amazing messages from different people, but we don't want to do anything with them. Mm-hmm. And they're all saying the same thing: stop listening to me. Yes, go and do it. Right. But you keep going. I will do, but I just want to hear that from right. this person, right. and I'll hear it from this person. And then when I get to my group of friends later on, I can tell you some fascinating things that I've picked up from all these people. Right. But like you said, none of it's my wisdom. None mm-hmm. of it's mine. Mm-hmm. And I find that with myself, you know, there's certain stages, you know, when it's with what you're eating, with what you're, with the way you want to spend your evening, when you get a f- 10 minutes free before you know it, when you suddenly become aware of yourself, you find yourself moving towards being entertained, mm-hmm. being dulled, being distracted. But then there's the times where you know you're feeling in that space because even when you're not with, you know, even when you're doing things, you're still doing them calmly. You find yourself just in that space and mm-hmm. there's no doubt that in that space things things appear mm-hmm. it's bizarre mm-hmm. how things come come forward mm-hmm. and thoughts that you think like we were saying before that you cultivate this environment which out of which blossoms these kind of revelations mm-hmm. or you cultivate this environment mm-hmm. out of which comes the same old right. stuff right but i guess we have the habit of cultivating that same environment we all do the same things every morning we meet the same people, we talk about the same stuff, we even listen to the same podcast and we all, but what is it that that stillness, that solitude, that quiet, that slowing down, for a lot of us is so uncomfortable because mm-hmm. life is pushing that pace. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because because we we feel, again, like we've been talking about, without the company of the noise, and the many cars in your garage and the many clothes in your closet, without that, you feel a, a sense of abandonment and bereftment. You feel you're not good enough because we've been conditioned to feel that others and other things matter. And that is the fundamental problem in our lives as humans, which will eternally cause suffering if we keep our eyes outward. And this is the fundamental premise of Eastern spirituality. That's where the Buddha, you'll see most of his statues and paintings are of his eyes closed, which is so beautiful. It's a symbol. It's a metaphor for look inward. Don't look out. His eyes are, I mean, I have pictures of the Buddha everywhere, not because I like him or maybe he didn't even exist. I don't know. But his eyes closed remind me that the answers are inward. And that's what the drive of an inner practice is all about, is that your answers are here, but you're so busy, distracted, dependent, craving, addicted to the outside world that you're not paying attention. And, and children become the eternal distraction, right? Talk about, and in, in fact, it's then they are, they are supposed to be a distraction, as in you are lauded, you are considered selfless. When you say, oh, I'm just, you know, I spend all my time with my children. I have no time. Oh, yeah. Then you're now, now you're a martyr, right? But it's bullshit because yeah. half of what we're distracted with them for are things that we want them to achieve in our lives. They didn't tell us, you know, to make them Olympians. So, you know, we're like, you know, I spend 16 hours with my three-year-old on the baseball field. No three-year-old wants to be there for 16 hours or in a pool for 16 hours. You're trying to groom the next, you know, Jackie Jackie Robinson (laughs) or Michael Phelps. But you won't own it because we are, as parents, 
applauded for this apparent self self sacrifice, but yeah. no one calls the parent on the bullshit. You're doing it for yourself. Tell me you're doing. You you want to be Jackie Robinson's mother. You want to be Michael Phelps' mother. That's why you're doing yeah. it. And no one will ever admit that, of course, because we're so full of shit. Well, this is it's hilarious because I mean, I because of that fear-based thing for me I, I kind of went down the perfectionist route I kind of figured that that I could rock up at the pearly gates and if my CV was good enough we'd be all right, right. you know maybe they'd just send me back to the start and I wouldn't have to suffer any of this business and of course all it meant was I, I got more and more suffering you can imagine but but I, I created a bit of a martyr archetype and a big savior one in this perfectionist side so I'm so aware of this it's it's it's, it's almost humorous looking back to look at the way, and like you said about these constructs, those are the ones that appear to me. So obviously, because you, I guess with with little moments of kind of revelations or whatever, you, I think the evolution means you look back at yourself and you're so different, you can really see a different individual there as opposed to sort of just seeing yourself. And I think that's that's been really fascinating to to me. The 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 interesting thing for me in the middle of a career, I had a lot of injuries and I was told more or less, you're probably not going to play again. I look back and it had been a career full of highlights and achievements, every achievement I could imagine. But I look back and just realised, oh gosh, it's not anywhere near enough. None of this has done anything. What do I need to do? And I fast forwarded to the deathbed idea and thought, geez, if I keep doing this, I'll have the same scenario. But then I think I made the mistake of thinking, well, if I had a career full of in the now engagements, that'll be enough. Mm. But it's like, no, mm-hmm. looking back over anything is not going to be enough. It's now. Mm-hmm. I can have a life full of struggle, mm-hmm. but if I engage now mm-hmm. in this moment, it'll all be enough. Mm-hmm. I could have a life full of beauty, but in mm-hmm. this moment, if I'm in struggle, it'll never be enough. Right. And I've been sort of pushing this idea, almost this idea of building up a memory full of engagements. Right. But it doesn't matter. It's the same thing. Yeah, what are, you, what are you building it up for? It's just now. It's just only now. So that's what you come back to, right? A, a checking in, realignment with, is my now the way I need it to be? Which really means, is my now in within me feeling complete? It doesn't matter whether you're in London, in Turkey, wearing orange or blue, with, with the Pope or with the beggar. It doesn't matter. It's am I okay with myself right now? And when you bring it down to that very basic fundamental denominator, you actually then are okay everywhere you go because now you've done the work to deconstruct that and that it's not anything on the outside. So you've detangled and dismantled the illusion of the external. So now you're okay everywhere you go. So now your now is okay. So there you go. And and children are like that. Children are always okay wherever they go. And and there's also then, if the now's okay, there's no previous now. Yes, yes. There's just now. Yes. So there is no, the now is not a result of all your previous nows. No. The now is now. The now is and now. And the now is not going to lead on to better nows. Correct. And this is, I guess, my issue with, so just to explain, I, I had a fascinating thing for, for, for some reason where I went from understanding past suddenly just became clear as just memory mm-hmm. and future just became imagination. Mm-hmm. Whereas my whole life had been lived yes. about past and future and me somehow in the middle trying to run beside mm-hmm. that, that mm-hmm. speeding train mm-hmm. of now and trying to hop in and it just being a constant effort. But that's, that's fascinating. I want, I really want to ask this question, which is with all the conscious parenting as a, having those old habits that, that sort of like I'm aware of within me, there can be an idea that you think you're going to create mm-hmm. a child that has no challenge or no yeah. problems. Yeah. Is there a truth in your experience or your mm-hmm. understandings or mind that, that that journey of childhood freedom given away to slight condition struggle, is that necessary to return to conscious freedom? Do we all need to pass through that mm. struggle and 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 du- a duality almost to come back to the understand the true understanding of we versus the childhood understanding of we? Right, 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 right. I see what you're saying. So if you give your child a childhood understanding of we, then they won't go through the pain that all of us have gone through. And is that a necessary ingredient? So yeah, all both great great questions. So first. 
you're, we are not doing this work to create a conscious child, right? Although sometimes I'll, I'll market my, you know, a book or a, a workshop saying, do you want a conscious child come to my workshop? Although there is no such thing, but the, when the minute, because that's not the point, right? The point is not, the, the, that, yeah, that's sure. kind of the trap, right? And everyone signs up and I go, aha, uh-huh, that was your ego, right? Yeah. That, now you're here. Now, now you're, you're here. here. Right. Let's get down to the yeah, real Yeah, why do you need to have a conscious child? You don't need to have a conscious child. You just need to have a conscious self. And they go, damn yeah, it, I can't yeah, even have right. a conscious child. I go, no, you can't want <laughs> your child to be anything other than who it is they are and what they want for themselves. Now, sure, you want to raise them to have a shower once in a while and not murder the people <laughs> in the bedroom next door. Yeah, of course. <laughs> but besides yeah. that, you know what I'm talking about. It's like all this extra yeah. burden that we put on our children. So I think when you raise children with that sense of communality and communion with their own authentic essence to whatever degree we can, listen, all of us are going to mess it up. I've certainly messed up my child and her connection to her authentic self, but I've tried the best I can to preserve it. What I've done more than that, though, is just tried not to dump my crap on her. So I've had the crap, but I just have tried to not dump it on her. And when I have dumped it on her, I've told her, give it back, you know, give it back right now, <laughs> which, which she gladly does. Let me deal with that, yeah. So she's seen me in earnest live my journey. And I think that's the best you can give. You know, you can't do more than that. So what I'm saying by that is, yes, there is a sense of communality you can give and communion. But how that child uses that is up to them, right? So you, I could have given the best sense of we, but then she goes through a divorce and then gets clobbered, right? We just don't know how, but it's not ours to know. We give the best sense of connection. And, and the way to do that is through this work that I teach, is when you see yourself as a limited but whole person with, with limitations, you will see your child in their wholeness with their limitations. When a child feels seen, for who it is they are with their limitations, they carry that foundation with them through the world. However, it doesn't mean they're not going to get clobbered with drugs or clobbered with a divorce or bankruptcy. It doesn't shield them, but it gives them this slight edge, which is that they have this memory, this, this bank, this foundation that, ah, in my childhood, my mother did see me. My father did see me for who it is I was. And that does carry a profound thread of power, of significance, of worth through the child's life. But it doesn't mean that they're not going to go through hell and it doesn't mean that they're going to wake up, right? It doesn't mean that they're going to go on a spiritual quest. It doesn't mean any of that. It just means that you, because you saw yourself, you could see your child and that's all. And, but that is inestimable. That's huge. Yeah, of course. And do you find, do you think that this has an effect later down the, the, the line or, or even during, the child and the parent has therefore a sort of foundation of friendship. Yes. Beyond beyond that hierarchical yes. you know, yes. ownership being at one end and absolute friendship at the other. And it's moving down that scale to being like, yes, there are things I can teach you and that is my responsibility. But because often you find, you know, with like you mentioned before, sort of, humorously about you know as a throwaway oh your parents are messed up and yeah whatever it is because surely at some age children will fight back against that hierarchical sort of space you know that need to be free but is that that what you're talking about having that seeing them for who they are sounds like a beautiful friendship which allows for that bond to sort of evolve beautifully rather than sort of come with that necessary almost fight that comes at some point Yes, yes, yes. I always tell parents to be friendly, to be their guide, to be their usher. I don't encourage parents to make their children their best friends. I always say, you can be your child's best friend, but don't try to make your child your best friend. Like, because they don't, they don't <laughs> yeah, need yeah, that, I right? Yeah, I can see that, yeah. But, but yes, you're right in terms of that energy of friendliness, right? So yesterday I called my daughter who's 20, who, you know, racked up an astronomical bill on her credit card, which I, which I have to pay. But when I came at her, I was like, come on, you know, Maya, you're killing me. Like, come on, let's make a plan. <laughs> I was like, you, you know, work with me. So, and she was like, okay, okay. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. But it was such a lovely conversation where I preserved her integrity 
but in, in my ego mind, I wanted to blast her, right? Like, what the F? What's wrong with you? But mm-hmm. I, I knew that that's not a way to talk to another human being. And we came up with a plan and she negotiated and we, you know, she agreed to pay me back. And we, but I did it in a, you know, hey, buddy, come on, what are you, you're killing me here. Yeah. So nice. when children get that, that from us, they actually lean into us because we're not coming with this monstrous control, domination, tyrannical energy, which immediately creates aversion. We're coming with like, hey, you know, help me here. I, I love you. I want to give you everything in the world, but you've got to help me. And they will lean into that energy. Children love yeah. to help, That's nice. but they have to see themselves as a partner. So my entire work in conscious parenting is about how do you create win-win partnerships for yourself in every di- dimension of your life, but especially with your children. And children, when they sense that you want to partner with them, they'll, they'll meet you there. They will meet you there. Yeah, that's, that's powerful. I think my passion, and I want to speak about passion and purpose just as, as we sort of get to the last stage of this, but my passion is within sport. My experience has always been within teams where we do have this captaincy coach type thing and people are always trying to ask about leadership what great leadership is. And of course, for me, that's another question of what's great parenting. It's almost like that's that's the same question. And we're so quick to give these amazing, yeah, amazing points coming from all different people and all different f- spheres of life. But people take them and they script them and they, that's it. But the very point of the, the, those things for those people have come through that work you're talking about. And the leader wants to take that stuff and just use it without doing the work. But the work is the leadership part, mm. it feels to me. Yeah. And I'm wondering now, in my experience, a lot of my, and some of my, I'd say a lot, but if I've investigated and explored and applied and a lot of stuff around the inner child side of psychology, almost reparenting mm-hmm. myself for those mm-hmm misinterpretations for those things going back Mm -hmm. and 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 yeah doing things differently Mm -hmm. is this essentially is what you're talking about here can it almost translate straight away if this is good parenting this is how to be with yourself this is how to be your own teammate right absolutely it's reparenting and my entire section two of this book the parenting map is all about how to reparent so I talk about the patterns we've lived in. I help parents to identify their patterns, the different ego masks that they wear. I talk about five ego masks. I talk about the ego masks that children wear. And so if you can, if you can follow through your own healing, you will be the best parent you can be. Now that again, doesn't mean your child will not get into trouble or make mistakes or fail even. There's no such thing as failure ultimately, but it's no, it's not going to be bulletproof in any way because we don't want our children to live bulletproof lives yeah. where they're not encountering pain. They have to go through their own life experiences. So this is not about what the child does or the outcome. It's about what are we doing? How are we showing up? And how can we slay our own inner demons so that we don't put those on our children? Yeah. It's so big. And like you said, that accountability, that responsibility for yourself before you start looking out, I think is, it's still not caught on Yes, as far as it can in terms of the, it's almost like there's so much of an easier fix Mm -hmm. to maintain the underlying conditional side. Yes, But like you said, gloss over it with some stuff which sounds deep and it sounds like we're really going there, but the the, the conditional part is going, you're not, you know, you're not coming down to meet me. We're fine here. You know, I'll stay here forever. So passion and purpose in this side, I'm really interested in terms of you're doing what you do. Do you, with that work, you spoke about the whys that you look into that accountability. Do you ever have the why about why you're doing this, about who it is you are that should have this purpose and passion? Why do you feel drawn to these things when you feel good about yourself? Why do you work with people to help them in their lives? Why do other people enjoy manual work? Or why do people live deep in the countryside and and really tend to the earth? Why do people farm? Why do they feel drawn to these things? What role does passion and purpose play? And how do you tune into it, if you like? And is it about your creativity and spontaneity? Is that a big part of all this for you? Well, I think the first thing to realize is that purpose 
is whatever you're doing right now. If you're awake, it doesn't matter what you're doing. If you're aware, that's purpose. And I think in this very industrialized world we live in, we mistake people like me or you for having great purpose. I'm so I I don't think I have great. I mean, that's good. I I I have great purpose not because I'm a star in any way or you're a star. I, the the indicator of purpose is am I awake and present? So everyone can have purpose. But in this industrialized modern world, we give give great accolade to people like you and me who have gone out there and you know won prizes or are on stage. But that's bullshit. We're not. We're not more mm. purposeful. We could actually be more, in fact, more disconnected on stage or on your, you know, in your sport than somebody who's farming a little plot of land in the middle of India. Absolutely. India Absolutely. They could have more purpose. So purpose is presence. You know, again, it's not the bells and whistles. So people look at me and go, wow, you're, you're so passionate. I, I could be passionate, but purpose and passion are two different things. Passion is, for me, is being fueled by a direction. And again, the farmer in India could have more passion than, than me or, and you on a certain day. But it, it, we should not get caught up in the external bows and whistles and trinkets of what we're doing. It's how am I inside? Am I feeling fueled? Am I feeling directed? Am I feeling initiated in self-initiative? Am I feeling self-governed? Am I feeling present? Am I here? Now that's passion and purpose to me. So let's not get beguiled by, you know, the trophies and the achievements and the money and the fame, because that's bullshit. I think the, yeah, the passion part and that creative spontaneity thing for me is big because I think in that survival mode, I've been dislocated from it mm -hmm. completely. Mm -hmm. It feels duty. It feels stress. It feels everything. Is there, is there something about your life? If you say more in that excitement that you find you, that you absolutely love doing. Mm -hmm. And is that a different voice for you compared? Are you able to tune into those two separate voices, the ones that's telling you need, 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 go and get this, and the other one that's saying express. Mm. Does that play a part in your life as well? Yeah, I was a little blessed because I grew up very much connected to my mother. And not to say my father wasn't important, but, you know, she was the main person at home. So there was very little sense of this separation that we're talking about. So it wasn't me against her. I didn't have anybody against anyone, really. So I grew up with a lot of inner abundance, which is my driver. Because I'm coming from this place of abundance, I want to give. So my trap, my ego trap was when I was giving, I was giving to get a result, right? I wanted them to get it. So I had to do a lot of work around giving with no result in sight, which is, yeah, which, is, nice. which is why I do this very hard work because I don't see much result. I mean, honestly, I don't. So I am a teacher who teaches to no one sometimes. And I'm like, damn. But I was like, do you want to teach? If you want to teach, go teach. Don't expect the student to learn. So yeah. many times I leave audiences yeah. and I go, fuck, no one got anything I said. But I keep doing it because I have to remind myself that I'm a teacher for myself. I'm teaching for me. I'm teaching because I'm, I love yeah. to teach. So now, but in my 20s, I would get upset. You know, I'd be resentful yeah. I, because I thought I was some grand martyr out there trying to change the world. I've let go of that. There is no one I'm changing. If some, I, you know, I say one is a million. If one changes, great. But even that's my egoic attachment to one. Yeah. So I have to keep killing that, yeah. that no one needs to change. Everyone is free to leave as or worse than when they came into the room with me. I'm doing this for myself. So that's my fuel. Yeah. My direction is self-growth and I'm dogmatic about it. And I, but you know, do I get trapped into wanting, you know, the book to, 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 to do better than it is or the audience to change hundred percent, but I know it's my ego so I can rein it back really, yeah, sure. really fast. And I just feel so blessed that I get to do this work that people will even listen to me. So I'm like, I am, my tank is full. My purpose is to show up because I want to do this work, not because I want people to change. So I, I, yeah. I don't have that need for people to change anymore. I think that's, that's a, brilliant definition of it because when you were mentioning about purpose that our purpose is now 
I have the same definition of performance. People think performance is when you go on stage, mm-hmm. but we're all performing now. Mm-hmm. And the question is, the quality of my performance is not how well am I doing? Are you smiling? Are you laughing? Am I thinking, you know, it's more how, like you said, how present am I? Mm-hmm. How engaged am I? Mm-hmm. And, and linking onto that as a sort of, as a closer, I'm really interested in your view, like you said, as the Western Eastern mix of looking at spirituality and the, and the clinical psychology with this environment, I feel, especially around what's been happening over the last few years, I feel I was quite sensitive to some of what was going around it. What's in this maybe fear, anxiety based scenario that we have now with people feeling quite down, people feeling low, people struggling. If you had a few things where you just sort of said, you know, this is, this is ultimately the difference you mentioned awareness before the difference between reinforcing and perpetuating your patterns versus taking a stance that takes you somewhere new Mm -hmm. and broadens and moves towards true growth and what would you say is, is are the key ones for you yeah i think the key the first key is to want to make a change in your life to disrupt your patterns if you don't even think that you have anything to disrupt then there's no hope so if you're if somebody's listening out there and they've heard whispers of a voice within them that says you know there is another way there is another way yes we are both here to tell you there is another way so now what now once you've decided okay i want to change I want to get out of my marriage or I want to change my patterns in my relationships. I don't want to be so angry. I don't want to eat such bad food. Whatever it is, I don't want to yell at my kids. Okay, now we both are telling you there is a way. What is the next step for me? It's you call a coach, right? So I have a coaching institute. People can go to my directory, call, call my office and say, give me a coach or call a therapist. You need help at this point. Read a book. Read one of my books. Read one of, you know, Eckhart Tolle's books. Read a spiritual teacher's books and underline it and start your journey. It's an education. It's a cultivation. It's a muscle you have to build. It's not going to happen. You know, ah, I'd love to have a more fit and muscular body. Okay. Thinking about it is not going to happen. There are dumbbells, there are exercises, there are ways to do it. There's a gym. In the same way, there is something for changing your life. There are teachers, there are courses, there are books. Okay. Now pick up something, right? I have so many courses. Eckhart has books. Read the main wisdom teachers out there and start following them in a dedicated way and quote unquote, go to school. And if you go to school within six months, literally, you will get the tools to change your life. Like I could give you a few tools, but that's not the point. The point is to go on a journey and go for six months and go for six months and go and start like underlying all the books and start learning. There is a way. Like that's why I write all these parenting books. Yeah, parenting is confounding, it is frustrating, it is overwhelming, it is heartbreaking, it is heart-wrenching, but there is a way to do it better. That's why I write the books. Now take your highlighter, take your pen and start learning. You have to want to do it, listen. And and that's why I don't waste my time giving people the 10 tips here because it's no point. I'm like, no, go hire somebody, go buy the book and start your journey. That'll show me that you are serious about the work. This is not a joke if you really want to change your patterns, but there is a way. And why wouldn't you be a better parent? Why wouldn't you be a better partner if there is a better way? But you have to go to school. Yeah, amazing. And I think, like you said, that that willingness, certainly for me, when you face that kind of challenge that leaves you almost with nothing left, all your desire goes in one direction. Yes. And you'll do it. Yes. Now, this is what I meant, is that when you get into that space where you're not in that challenge, your desire starts going, oh, I could have a bit of this. Right. I could have a bit of that, but when you're backed into a corner and you don't have that choice, everything you've got says, and it came to me to be like, I must change. Yes. I must explore what's in me. Buddha said that nirvana was the extinction of beliefs. So he realized what you just said. Who is the me behind the beliefs? Forget the beliefs. Like the beliefs don't identify me. Who am I beyond the belief? And that, that self beyond beliefs which is very hard for people to let go of their beliefs. That self is the eternal ocean. It's not the waves on the ocean. It's the ocean. And that's what we want to be. That's who we are till we superimposed ourselves with stupid beliefs. I keep mentioning this and people will be bored of it, but the, 
whether you believe it to be true on, or or what you believe or disbelieve, it's not going to bring you any closer to the truth. Right, right. And I think this is, I'm, I'm fascinated with this. I'm certainly, I tell you what, I'm going to straight away go and get your new book oh, because you. yours, yours has been worn out. Yeah. My wife said to me before, she said, make sure you mention that she reads a paragraph every night before she goes to bed. Oh. So like you said, she's on that journey. Yes. She's, she's found you as part of her teacher and she's, she's underlining, yeah. she's doing it all. And, and it's, it's certainly hugely powerful. But like you said, that willingness and triggering that willingness is maybe just catching people with that thing. For me, it was that understanding that this isn't taking me anywhere, all of this achievement. And it's nice and it's a good way to live and it's a nice purpose and whatever. And I enjoy it enough. But I'm after, mm. you know, I cut, this isn't enough. Mm. There has to be more. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm wondering what it is for everyone. What mm. is that, that pressure point mm-hmm. where they'll go? But I don't know if there's anything else you want to say, anything that's important to you, but it's been fascinating. Oh, thank to you. you. I plan to come to England for a little tour, so I'll, I'll connect with you in next year. No, just, just I'd love people to buy the book. It's called The Parenting Map. If they want to become more conscious parents and humans, read it and, and let me know what you think of it, okay? Yeah, I, I definitely will. Okay. I will do in, indeed. I'm also starting to think this could be a new venture into my world as well like you said it is fascinating for the parenting and it's brilliant but also it looks like it's going to look after everything else I want you know whether it's talking about teams and management and leadership and relationships between you know it sounds fascinating so yeah we've already worn out your others so we'll have a go on this one now Dr Shivali thank you so much for all your time and uh, yeah the, the wonderful insights as well thank you so much So that's it for another episode of I Am. It's brilliant to be sharing this unfolding experience with you all. If you'd like to get in touch with either me or the guest, then all the information you need is in the show notes. I welcome all and any feedback. I really want all of you to have a hand in guiding the feel of this show and the path of the conversation as well. So just keep them coming in. And until next time, I'm Johnny Wilkinson, and this has been I Am. This show is brought to you by Max Creative, The executive producer is Megan Hill-Smith. Assistant producer is Alex Macy. That's all for this week's episode of I Am. Before you go, a big thank you to Vivo Life, our podcast partner, who deliver affordable, natural and UK-made supplements straight to your door. Vivo Life perfectly embodies the principles we're discussing here at I Am, and we're excited for you to experience their products firsthand. As a special offer for our listeners, they're currently offering their biggest sale ever. Use the code IAMPODCAST, all in capital letters, to receive 40% off your initial purchase and an additional 15% discount on subsequent orders with a subscription. Visit www.vivolife.co.uk to explore their complete range of products and discover how they can help you unleash your full potential.